Hey, this is Daniel Montero, Ganji Smoke Break. We're here at Cafe Floor. Uh, it's May, it's a beautiful evening out here in San Francisco. Um, thank you Terrence Allen uh, for having us and Luke Bruner at Cafe Floor. Um, thank you Gold Seal uh, for sponsoring um, this interview and the content tonight, as well as SF Roots, thank you Morris. Uh, and I'm here with Aaron Flynn. Uh, he's a sharp uh, young cat in the industry who um, I've always been impressed with, and honestly, after I seen the Congo do the equity sessions, I was like, wow, this guy really maybe Thank does you, know what he's doing, you know what I'm saying? Right on, right on. Um, you know, there's no judgment, and as you know, we're saturated our industry with people who are more uh, maybe egoic or more talk than, um, you know, than speaking with a skill set or letting the product speak for itself. So it's very pleasing that when I saw that Congo, I was like, Ugh, it really resonated with me, man. We're proud of the Congo. I'm not the brightest kid in the world, but I can sure as hell spot some dank when I see Don't it. Don't sell yourself short, Danny. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Uh, but that being said, uh, what are we smoking on tonight? We're smoking on the Red Congolese. Uh, oh, no way. This is our um, harvest from a little bit earlier in this year. Uh, we were lucky enough to hit 31% THC on this on one. On the Congolese? Yeah. It's, uh, it's a The total race. number? No, the uh, total cannabinoids was 34. Total THC was 31% on this one. Uh, we're really proud of it. It's a land race, Afghani sativa. Uh, it, I think for a lot of people, it, it's a throwback to what old school weed is about. You know, it's it's not as much of a flavor. It's definitely a land race. Uh, it's a 12-week flower. You guys do this for 12 weeks? Yeah, yeah. It takes 12 weeks to flower. Um, it takes a different type of cultivation to, to grow this strain, but uh, our, what do you mean by that? I'm sorry. Different well, kind of cultivation. Uh, our head cultivator Tyson has been growing this for better part of a decade, and uh, sativas generally tend to grow lankier, looser, uh, and they take a really long time to finish. And so there's certain aspects of the way you have to set up the rooms and the cultivation in order to really get this strain to produce properly. Are the humidity levels up a little bit? The humidity levels are up a little bit. The heat is up, definitely. Uh, it's it's again, it's an Afghani land race, so it likes it likes heat, it likes high humidity, uh, and really the the distinguishing thing about it is it takes a really long time to flower, three to four weeks longer than most strains that people are used to, and uh, that gives it a lot more time to develop, a lot more time to really put on more trikes. Uh, also a lot more time for issues to come into play and for problems True. to come in. And uh, so it's an expert level strain and uh, we only grow it because we have a, a, a lead cultivator who's very familiar with this strain. What I was thinking is uh, normally when I grow indicas, I have the heat at about uh, you know between 70 and 75 or 68, 72. And I have my humidity at about 55 or so. Um, so for sativa, I'm sure those numbers are up a little bit. Yeah, the Congo really likes 82 to 84 degrees, 70 to 75% humidity, at least for the first six to eight weeks of its life. That's hot, uh, wow. And um, yeah, and, and it's really- And that's really, how she stretches. Yeah, it stretches, but it's important to control the nitrogen intake at the beginning of the run to make sure it doesn't stretch too far and let the bud sets develop. Uh, and so, you know, it's easy to make the mistake of growing it like an eight or nine weaker and, uh, and, and really push a lot of nitrogen in the early phases. And if you do that, this thing will hit the ceiling. Um, so 
you know, it's, it's been a long drawn out I've been process. There before. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long drawn out process to really dial this strain in. Uh, we think we have it, it dialed in pretty well. Uh, we're starting to become fairly well recognized for our red Congolese and we're proud of the strain. It, uh, it definitely changes up the, the, the numbers a little bit. We only get about four and a half harvests a year as opposed to the typical five and a half that most indoor cultivators recognize. But uh, it's worth it because People who really appreciate land race sativas are stoked on the Red Congo and we're happy to be able to provide that to people. Is she marked up accordingly? Because you're limited on the limited run? Most of the, most of the retailers will recognize that because it takes a little bit more to grow this strain and, and it costs a little bit more, we can, uh, we can, we can get a little bit of a, of a higher retail price as a result. Uh, and, we, and we appreciate that understanding from our retail partners. And how would you describe the nose right now? You know, it's kind of this, um, it's kind of a, a funky, dirtier, mm -hmm. it is. big it is. smell. It and, is. Um, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're about the, the, the dessert flavors, the, the fruity <laughs> flavors, this one isn't going to necessarily do it for you. I think more often than not, when, when people smell this, uh, if they've been in cannabis for a long time, more often than not, what we hear is, that smells like some old school weed. That smells like some old weed. And, uh, and we appreciate that. We consider that to be a compliment. It's um, earthy funk, like yeah, you said. Socks. Yeah, it's an earthy funk. It's definitely, it's definitely got that kind of land race, uh, you know, yeah, real, real, real earthiness to it that, um, you know, it's certainly not desserty. It's certainly not super flavorful. And uh, we're okay with that. Uh, we feel like there's a, there's a lot of people who are out there doing the desserty flavor thing, and we're we're happy to be in this space uh, where we're doing the land racing. This is the first interview where it's taking us so long to spark it, uh, but it's cool because we're we're uh, you know sharing about the strain. So before yeah, I do, the last thing I'm going to ask you sure. is, um, can you tell us about where the strain came from? How did it come into your hands or your buddy's hands? Sure. So again, uh, the partner of mine in the business, Tyson Graham, uh, he was formerly Dragonfish Farms. He's been working with the uh, Red Congolese for the better part of a decade. Uh, he picked it up from uh, a cultivator that, honestly, I, I, I can't actually share where exactly it came from. Tyson would be a better person to do that. But he's had it for, for a long enough time that he's been able to breed it, crossbreed it, back cross it a number of times to really get uh, a, a mother plants of the Congo that, that give off that true land race effect. And uh, like I said, we're very proud of it. When you see her in the grow room, does she express herself uniformly at this point? Very much so. Uh, very much the, the, the long, skinny sativa leaves, very stretched out bud structure. Uh, it, it looks a lot different than the eight or nine week indica hybrids that are becoming more common in the space today. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's very distinct cultivar and um, you know, we, we're happy to share pictures of it and you see this and immediately you're gonna know it's, it's distinct and different. That's exactly why I almost interrupted you right now. Man, so when you smoke a heavy indica, it hits your forehead, it hits your temples and this does the same but in a much brighter way to where literally what I'm since, uh, feeling right now, my senses, it's almost like the colors are brighter, the whites are brighter. Um, this is definitely cerebral, cerebral pot, and I, dude, it immediately hit me where those extra weeks went. 
Yeah, yeah, it's an upper. There's some magic in this fucking And, uh, you know, we're excited about being here in San Francisco as San Francisco cultivators. We oftentimes have to answer the question, why would you choose to produce in San Francisco? Land is expensive here, real estate's expensive here, uh, employees are expensive here, all those things. We really feel like we've identified a San Francisco strain. This is a place where people are active, they're moving on a daily basis, they're creative, and they want something that they can smoke throughout the day that doesn't put them to sleep, that gives them those creative vibes and those creative juices, and Red Congolese hits that I love on it, all man. cylinders. Yeah. Dude, if you're a musician, if you're an artist, uh, if you want to just take a walk in the woods, programmer, so you, got, you, sure you know a lot of those guys. We've been focused on the strain. It's really dope, man. I've always appreciated it. It's always uh, taken me aback just from seeing it, not even smelling it. Um, but now I want to get into you, man, and, and, and how cannabis has intersected your life. You talked about being in the military. In a nutshell, you can share with us you know, where you grew up and um, if cannabis, or when, not if um, cannabis intersected your life. I just wasn't sure if it was before or after the military. Sure. So I grew up in Minnesota, uh, Midwestern kid. Uh, right out of high school at the age of 18, I joined the Marine Corps. And um, it was in 2000. And so for the first year of my tenure in the Marine Corps, it was peacetime. I went on a Mediterranean float uh, to Norway, Amsterdam, uh, you know, enjoyed those experiences. And then 9-11 happened. And after 9-11 happened, we got activated as reactionary forces. And I did a tour in Iraq in 2003 and a tour in Afghanistan in 2004. Uh, and both of those were uh, combat experiences that really really gave me a, a lot of perspective on um, well, just on sort of the, the global atmosphere and and what it meant to be a citizen of the world and and what it means to be uh, you know just somebody involved in, in the time and space that we all are and so I Decided to exit the military after 2004, after those experiences, and I was a little bit disenfranchised with the whole experience. Well, you were, you've been involved in war, real war. Yeah, yeah, and I uh, lost a couple friends, and it was, uh, you know, really trying to justify those experiences and figure out why we had been there and, and what it all meant, and, uh, you know, getting out. Uh, was a decision that myself and a couple of other friends made because we felt like we wanted to move into other parts of our lives. But getting out after those experiences is a difficult thing to do. And, you know, coming back into civilian life uh, after being in, in those situations and those theaters uh, was, was something that, you know, was a little bit of a difficult transition. And the VA, the Veterans Administration, in an effort to in an effort to make sure that they didn't have another generation of Vietnam vets self-medicating and really struggling on the streets, they, they go to great lengths and they give you therapy and counseling, which we appreciate, but they also prescribe a, a lot of um, pretty hardcore antipsychotics and uh, opiate-based drugs to try to stabilize the mood. And we were going through that process and, and really having a hard time with what the VA was giving us. And so landing in Humboldt County, which I did, one of my friends was from Ferndale. And, uh, but if I may, when did you start smoking pot? I smoked a little bit in high school. Okay. But Before in the military, the military. Uh, for four years, I had to be completely sober, piss tests all the time. And so we got out and we were just kind of in this mode where we, 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 we took what they gave us. And they gave us a lot of uh, drugs in order to try to keep us stable and 
but you know they weren't working very well and landing in Humboldt it was pretty quickly apparent that we had lots of incredible medicine around us and we started really getting into did you know somebody there yeah again one of my friends from the military yeah. was uh, was from Ferndale and so yes, we landed sorry. in Eureka and uh, Humboldt County was one of the best places that we possibly could have landed not just because of, of the access to all this high-grade medicine but the disposition of the people there and, and and really just kind of the peaceful nature and, and the welcoming nature of, of people up in the Emerald Triangle was exactly what we needed coming out. And uh, then getting access to all this really high-grade medicine and, you know, OG if we needed to sleep, but a sativa if we needed to, you know, get through our day. And it was the first time that I had ever encountered cannabis really being used as a medicine. You know, when I smoked in high school, you called a guy in a Honda Civic, he pulled up, with a bag and you know there it was now we were going to places where people were asking us what the issues we were having were and actually being able to in a sense prescribe those things for 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 the different elements that we had and it really really helped uh it helped us calm down it helped us get less paranoid indicas uh indicas and sativas really depending on on the application so anyways i mean so the long and short of it was uh, myself and my buddies landing in Humboldt County straight out of the service was, in, in my opinion, almost a lifesaver. Uh, you know, if we had stayed on the drugs that the VA prescribed, we would have struggled. Uh, we, would have, we, we wouldn't have necessarily been violent, but we certainly would, have been, would not have been productive. And cannabis really helped us do both of those things. And so I spent uh, a couple of years in Humboldt uh, you know, and, and then eventually graduated to Southern Humboldt and greenhouses and outdoor. And uh, after around 2010, uh, I really realized that I wanted to get into the larger consumer market of cannabis. There just weren't a lot of dispensaries up in the Humboldt area. I wanted to really focus on the patients and the consumers inside of the cannabis space. So I came to San Francisco and uh, met my partner who had just started the Gold Seal brand. And we teamed up uh, and got on the rest of history. What I wanted to ask you is, before you started cultivating and uh, post-cultivation, how did your relationship with the plant change? Did it change? Sure, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, I think, again, landing in Humboldt was the first experience that I ever had in which I could talk about wanting to sleep uh, or wanting to you know have a little bit of pain relief or wanting to actually go out and be less paranoid and get recommended different strains um, and so you know pretty quickly after I recognized that this plant does a variety of different things it's not just one thing it, it can it can it can really help with a lot of different ailments across a broad spectrum. I got really interested in which strains did that, how to grow them, how to kind of create these effects, and what the, what the, 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 the cannabinoid profiles and the terpene profiles really look like. And so it piqued my interest pretty quickly. And in the industry before you moved to San Francisco, you identified as a cultivator first and foremost? Definitely. Um, you know, we started like, many other cultivators in the area did with uh, something very small in a garage out behind our house uh, to eventually being able to 
purchased property down in Southern Humboldt and uh, you know we grew outdoor the first year and then we're able to use that revenue to build greenhouses and learned really a lot about you know the organic style of growing teas uh, growing in outdoor and hoops and then that really helps kind of develop the skill set to come down into the city and look to indoor cultivation that could really cater to what the patient's specific needs were in these dispensaries. And real quick, before we move on to San Francisco, is there anybody that you want to give a shout out to in Honeydew that uh, showed you love, man, that you know maybe was kind with you, sharing some strains? No, I really appreciate that. And uh, you know, gentleman Dave, Dave San Giovanni was a mentor to me for many years. I'll always appreciate that very much. Um, Humboldt is where I met uh, Casey O'Neill, Hezekiah Allen, uh, a handful of other innovators in the space. Uh, gosh, who else? Duke Barclay, uh, Rob McCauley, a lot of, lot of cats who are still up in Humboldt doing big things. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's been a fun ride. And, uh, and I, think, I think over the next five or 10 years, you're gonna see a lot of the cats who are down there in that space doing bigger and bigger things. Uh, Kevin Jodry has been a mentor to me, and he's um, and instilled so much um, direction and, and um, has changed my trajectory in this industry. So what I'd like to know is your mentor, um, is there a lesson or, or um, something that he taught you that still resonates with you today? You know, it was really just, uh, it was about always being straightforward. Uh, and really about just getting in, doing the work, and, and, and being real about what was going on. Look, if we had a crop that wasn't as good, we are gonna be real about that. If we had bud rot, if we had PM, we were gonna just you know clean it up and try to push it out. We were gonna make sure that people understood what it was and you know take that hit. Um, and I'll always appreciate that, and I think it set a really good example, you know? Um, and so you take these values, you're in San Francisco now, you hook up, you form Gold Seal. I'm not sure when that was. Uh, that was around 2015. Okay, so about yeah. four years. Yeah. How's and the ride been since then, bro? It's been really intense. Uh, I mean, we're still not out of it by any stretch. Nobody is, dude. Not even close. Uh, we still have a lot of building to do, uh, a lot of, lot of bridges to cross. We're starting to feel a little bit more stable. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that drew me to my partner at the time and, and then bringing our third partner in was that we really wanted to focus on catering to the patients and then eventually the consumers of the Bay Area and growing a product that they would appreciate. And, and, and you know, that, in, that enabled us, that sort of North Star and mission focus really enabled us to, to grow things like the Red Congolese, uh, grow things like our cherry cheesecake that have been really well received here. And we recognize that as a small company, we need to build a foundation from you know, where our roots are first, Bay Area, San Francisco, Berkeley, Oakland, get on into Santa Cruz, mm -hmm. uh, you know, San Jose, Sacramento, and, uh, and build out from there. And we're looking forward to the opportunity. Have you seen the banana punch out of Santa Cruz? The slugs? What do you think of it? Are you impressed? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. The, uh, the, the fruity flavors continue to amaze me. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think that uh, the, some of the breeders are doing incredible things. 
that consumers are going to like. And, you know, props to it. Uh, for us, we recognize that our core competency is probably sativas, probably longer running strains uh, to cater to the San Francisco demographic. And I think we're going to try to focus on, you know, what we've found to work and what we're figuring out that we're good at. When you smoke on your own time, what are your go-to strains? I mean, not to shamelessly self-promote, but I, this is yeah, great. Yeah, I, I like the Congo a lot. Uh, I like Durban. Um, I've always been a sour diesel fan. I generally tend towards the sativas. Uh, I used to have sleep issues, and when I did, I really liked you know super heavy hitting OGs and yeah. and things That's that would put me to sleep. Yeah, yeah, and it was great. Um, I. Fortunately, I've been able to move past that, and more now I'm, uh, you know, just just focused and trying to move through the day in the most productive way possible. Love flower. Sativa's mm -hmm. um, do it pretty well for me. And I'll share something with you. Um, you know, you said getting past that, you know, indigo to sativa, and I think that's so dope. Um, Kevin Jodry, uh, he expresses the history of cannabis in that the further away you get from the equator. Um, the, f the harder the weed is. So you have, um, you know, the Kush Mountains, uh, Kush Mountain region, and, you know, it's a hard hitting Warm. indica. Yeah. Whereas closer to the equator, you have these sativas that aren't as heavy because life was better, right? It wasn't as harsh. And for those of us that have had harsh backgrounds, you were in the military, you've, ex you've been exposed to war. And my experience um, doesn't come close to yours in that regard, but there's different ways to experience trauma Absolutely, and, man. A lot you, of people and have like PTSD to, and other issues that they really need. And I really enjoyed what you said about getting past the indica, because what I'm experiencing in this interview right now is the first time I've smoked a really clear sativa. And so there's a different chemistry that I'm experiencing as a, as a stoner right now. And I feel like if you can get past um, the hardships in life and, um, you know, grow past that, you really have so much more to enjoy from life. It's hard to enjoy life completely when you're really, you know, beat up and, and depressed or, you know, suffering Hopefully from trauma. you're not always just trying to kill pain. Dude, Hopefully you're yeah, trying to enjoy exactly. yourself a little bit or elevate. Exactly. And this is what I'm feeling right now. And I think that every everybody out there that's used to smoking them heavy indicas, man, for whatever reason, dude, a nice sativa is definitely a beautiful change up. Um, I, this, is, this is dope. You know, if I could buy a jar of this right now, I definitely would. Um, and, on, Danny. you know, I really got to, um, um, get to know Gold Seal and yourself a, a, a little better. Uh, we've met well, a couple I've times. I've got two other partners. They both have amazing stories too. I'd encourage you to check them out. I mean, Gold Seal, one of the reasons that we are just excited about the future is because we've got three partners who all have different skill sets. And, uh, and you know, we're, we're looking forward to building the team out a little bit more and Lucky to be in this space in this time, mm -hmm. San Francisco brand. Dude, it's not easy being here in San Francisco, do what you guys do. Besides the focus on sativas, uh, is there anything else that you would say sets Gold Seal apart from the competition? We, we have uh, a lot of great partners that we work with already in the cultivation space to try to source good flour and continue to build this brand. Um, and, you know, we think that there are two different models out there. Building out big cultivation spaces, vertically integrating, pushing a lot of product out, and, uh, and, and multiple farms growing under 
an aggregated model and and you know under a couple of brands and hopefully that's something that we can help a lot of farmers realize. Mm -hmm. Okay, I see, I see where you're going. Yeah. So kind of like uh, like the Flocana model maybe, or the Collect, definitely like the Hezekiah Allen model? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's merit into looking into this model, really. Uh, what we see right now is a lot of retailers don't want multiple brands. Exactly, they, brand they, value. Yeah, they, they, they would prefer, you know, a, a handful of brands that they trust that are sourced from multiple places uh, or come from one place, but I think there's, there's definitely a model in, yeah, the Flocana, the Hezekiah Allen model, where instead of one large production space, it's multiple small farms. And arguably, that product could be more niche, more high-end, uh, more expertly grown. Mm -hmm. uh, to kind of wrap it up in just a quick minute, um, what does cannabis culture mean to you? I mean, I think you're starting to hear more and more about OGs in the cannabis culture and then sort of the new wave of professionals from other industries coming into the space. Green from Rush? Finance. I don't know about the Green Rush. I mean, there, there's just institutional capital, uh, marketing and branding, various other aspects of other industries coming into cannabis and uh, you know, helping helping change the space a little bit, uh, and I think that the the OGs, the people who've been here for a long time, really do need the people who've built businesses, successfully marketed them, exited them, to come in and you know lend some of that knowledge into the space. And so I think there's going to be a marriage of OGs and people from other spaces who are really interested in cannabis and yeah that could be the green rush but I think in the next three to five years uh, you know there's going to be some level of institutional capital and in almost all cannabis businesses out there and um, I think the culture is going to evolve. For better, for worse. I hope to see as many quote OGs in this space five years from now as I do right now. What I've been saying honestly is it's going to be the expression from somebody within our culture um, that, it, that articulates uh, the authentic California cannabis experience that that's what's going to magnetize tourism from around the world. So what is that? We're defining it. We're, we're doing it right now by sharing your Sitting story. Sitting outside of Cafe this is what floor, we would normally do. smoking some sativa after having a fun party. Yeah, man. <laughs> but we're real people. We're not having to reinvent ourselves in the cannabis space. This is, this is who we are, right? You already have a pre-existing relationship with the plant. And I think that love story of those of us who have been taking risks and who have, um, at the root of it, that love for the plant that will magnetize you asked what that's going to be. It's how do we express our love for the plant with the world so around us. So the question is, when do we get to share our whole stories? Is there a statute of limitations? Oh, <laughs> what did you, I mean, what, what's, like the, the black market part of it or? I mean, yeah. Man, that's what's juicy, dude. I mean, if, if you want to go there, is there something, is a story come to mind, something crazy you had to do to, to duck the law or, or in honeydew, some, you know, places getting robbed or something? I think there are a lot of good stories that are going to come out once people actually feel like it's the right time to tell them. Mm -hmm. We're getting there. Yeah. I'm actually writing a, a script. Uh, with Murder a, Mountain is an interesting dude, Netflix Jason special. Jason Dickey Brothers. It's worth checking out. I know. He got a lot of fame off that. 
But, um, you know, I really appreciate you sharing your story. It's a unique story, and you said it best, as the uh, more we feel comfortable putting ourselves out there with our histories and our backgrounds, I think it has the potential to magnetize um, the world to us. You know what I'm saying? We just want to normalize, man. How else and, do you and this is starting to feel pretty normal, and I appreciate that. Dude, I can't underestimate the magic of this Congo. Uh, it's been super dope. Um, I really appreciate you giving uh, me the opportunity to sit down and speak with you. I know it's cold out here, bro. No, um, but it's I an wish art. you the best moving forward. Thanks, Dad. And uh, thank you for setting the standard here in San Francisco, man. Appreciate that. Come on, let's get high. Let's get high. Come on, let's get high. Let's get high. All my ladies, let's get high. Yeah.